Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market movements while at the same time quaffing a few beers. And this is, in fact, a very special episode of BBB because uh, we're actually recording this in person beside each other. I think this is the first episode where we've ever done that, right, Sam? Yeah, 40, 41 episodes and this is the first in person. I, it's it's awkward. It's awkward. <laughs> I'm not used to, to looking at you in the in the in the face as much as uh, as, as this. It's 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 uh, it's unique, but it's much better because listen to this, everybody. We're gonna do a little cheers. Oh yeah. Ah, oh, did you hear that? So we are in person, live on. What would you call it? On location, I suppose. Yeah, on location, indeed. Um, you know, I, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure after after the beer's gone in, you'll uh, you'll feel less awkward. You know, alcohol does have that have that uh, property. Uh, but I mean, Sam, it's um, yeah, there has been quite a uh, been quite a ride these 41 episodes, and now we've uh, we've got here, and it's it's good actually that we have met up for this because yeah. on this you know this first beer that we are going to drink today is yeah. a very special beer. Um, this and this, in fact, is actually the first time I've drank it. So, uh, do you want to, you want to, you want to tell us what we've got here? Yeah. So we, uh, when we found out that we were going to be on location here in London together uh, for this episode, uh, we decided it would be the perfect time to to christen the blockhead uh, from Cheddar Ales, who, who uh, obviously. Uh, Boaz helped to commission our first uh, batch of the Quantitative Ease, and this is the second. Uh, I guess run of, of beers we've done with the Blockhead, the 6.25% deep amber ale, celebrating the endless treasure hunt in cyberspace for the next 6.25 block reward of Bitcoin. So it's exciting times, and uh, yeah, we, you know, it's a, a as I said, it's a deep amber ale, and when I hold this sucker up to the sunlight. Uh, it certainly lives up to that name. Yeah, very deep. It's like deep sea. Uh, very, uh, very hard to see through. It doesn't pass that. Uh, the the um, four yeah, finger the, test. Yeah, the four finger test. Yeah. <laughs> but no. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this blockhead that we've had. Uh, it sold out within twelve hours of this going live uh, on the Cheddar Ales website. So it has been a great success when it comes to sales. But in terms of uh, actually drinking it, this is the first time I have had any of it. Uh, Sam, I believe you've had a little bit beforehand. I did. uh, I I cheated last night when I I flicked the Masters on because it's Masters week and mm. I love golf. And so I had to have a beer while watching uh, the Masters last night. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just have to crack one. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. (laughs) I must say I am very pleased with the taste. Um, This does not taste 6.25 to me. No. uh, And it tastes very... Be. It's um, it's kind of citrusy actually. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's got it's got a sharpness to it. Mm. Uh, I think refreshing. That, yeah, it, it is. You know what? It, it is. It is refreshing for a for a, like I said, a deep amber ale. It's um, yeah, it, it's lighter than I would have expected in terms of taste. But um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel like six point two five percent. I've I enjoyed it last night, uh, and I'm so far enjoying it today. And I'm not going to lie, when I flick on the Masters tonight, I'm going to enjoy it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, despite this being a really dark and quite like, it, you'd think it was quite a heavy yeah, beer. Yeah. Uh, this, I think this would actually go down really well on a hot day. Oh, yeah. Well, Despite it being really, really heavy. It's sunny outside right now, and I like to think it's hot. It's not. It's freaking freezing cold outside still. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to these in summer. Yeah. Chilled, bit, bit chilled, maybe a couple on ice outside in the backyard. If you manage to get some blockhead, you're a lucky camper, yeah. Because, like I said, they sold out, and um, you know, hopefully, the, they may do a longer run. But I don't know. Yeah, good luck. Uh, good luck holding on to them until summer, Sam. I, so, but if you're if you're cracking them open like at True. this rate for the just the masters, three three down in less than twenty four yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, keep this up. Good luck. Good luck. But by then, maybe we'll have, maybe there will be another another beer uh, that we we can uh, we can commission and get going by then. Uh, but Sam, in terms of uh, bullish and bearish this week, what are you bullish on this week? Huh? So bullish this week, I um, I can't remember. Geez, I tell you what, it was only a week ago where we did our last one. I can't remember what I was bullish. What was I bullish on last week? What were you, you bullish on last week? I can't week? even remember. I need to go back and revisit. Maybe it's the alcohol going to my head. It's not working properly. Not quite like you in, in Lent, but um, <laughs> it's not working anyway. Uh, so what am I bullish on this week? So I, I, I've got to admit, um, my week has been consumed by the crypto markets again. Um, it's been a volatile little week, and uh, a number of things have been sort of pushing Bitcoin up and down and around. 
and um, I saw Peter Thiel came out and spoke about, and and I think I think his comments have been misconstrued somewhat because if you listen and watch what he actually was saying, he was saying that China doesn't want uh, the renminbi to be the global currency of the world because they lose an element of their authoritarian control over it, if that's the case. They also don't want the US dollar to be a global reserve currency because they don't like the US. Uh, and I think it gives them better, you know, more leverage around trade and, and the US can use, use it for sanctions against countries that China supports. And I'm sure you know a lot more about that than me. But um, so he was talking about how they could be using Bitcoin because a lot of the Bitcoin mining is done in China, as we know. Uh, and it would be somewhat naive to think that they didn't have some sort of hand in Bitcoin, I would have thought, at the moment. And that's not to say that they can control it, and they, they don't. But um, there's an element of the, the Bitcoin really is starting now to be spoken about in terms of a global reserve currency. The US don't necessarily want that, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Uh, and I keep coming back to this, and we, we had a brief chat today here in the office about uh, about this sort of. Um, I, I just can't see how things aren't still massively bullish for Bitcoin in the long term. I mean, when we talk about constricted supply, uh, an increase in demand, uh, institutional money coming to the space, corporations coming to the space, um, and probably more significantly, it's almost certain we're going to end up with a, a, a Bitcoin ETF or maybe a number of Bitcoin ETFs, in which case a lot of pension money is going to flow indirectly to Bitcoin. And if, if these, these ETFs are backed by Bitcoin, they've got to get it from somewhere. Um, so I just see there being this constriction of supply, a uh, 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 almost an inflection point where we're just going to see even more exponential demand for it. And I'm just really bullish on Bitcoin still. Yeah, I think there's all manner of um, sort of aspects that we could, uh, we could go through there. I think the Peter Thiel comments are very interesting indeed. Uh, I especially liked how he actually referred to himself as a Bitcoin maximalist. Well, he said crypto and Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> right, which and is it, the opposite actually, of each other, right? He <laughs> said maximalist person, I think, or maximalist type person. I think he was meaning he was <laughs> I a think Bitcoin he was too. maximalist. But he was saying, he was, he was giving the China angle a, um, he was giving the China angle uh, a lot of, Sort of, uh, you know, he's casting a light on it. Which, yeah. if you are a Bitcoin maximalist, you won't find anyone really doing that. No. I've not found, well, I'm not in the public eye. I mean, like, I consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist, but yeah, I talk about the China angle all of the time, right? Yeah. But it's good to see somebody who's very high profile, obviously mm. uh, very, very wealthy. And, you know, this was at a, uh, what the, the uh, was it Richard Nixon, the Nixon uh, Institute? Yeah. It was one of their, um, one of their uh, which I'm assuming is a right wing conservative think tank. Uh, where they have you know people like uh, Mike Pompeo there amongst uh, many other influential people, so I thought it was good to see Teal actually recognise that while mm. at the same time being sort of bullish on on uh, on Bitcoin and yeah. things like that. Uh, you know the the issue with Bitcoin in China is like it's a really double edged sword. It's uh, you know so the the Chinese state uses this, but it also uh, you know, it, it cuts one way for the Chinese Communist Party and it cuts the other way as well. So yeah. on one side, you've got a great way of hoovering up dollars from the West because uh, China has a, a big need for dollars for the purchase of commodities mm -hmm. and for expanding its own uh, bank, extending bank credit within its own country. Uh, and yet at the same time, China has a closed capital account and yep. Bitcoin is a proved, uh, you know, tried and tested uh, method of evacuating capital <laughs> out of China. So on one side, this is something uh, China definitely wants. I think it's definitely uh, there's a deliberate program to keep, you know, keep energy cheap in places like Xinjiang. Yeah. They want to hoover up the Bitcoin mining uh, pools in order to get the, the Bitcoin sales uh, to take place you know, from these mining pools uh, to the Western developed nations or elsewhere in Southeast Asia, for that matter, like South Korea. Uh, they definitely want that to occur in their mm -hmm. country so they can get them dollar reserves. But at the same time, 
you know this is this is hurting them because uh, Bitcoin is be, you know is being used by uh, the nouveau riche Chinese uh, businessmen and uh, and other and including probably Chinese Communist Party officials who are you know who are corrupt etc just to get their <laughs> money out of the country. So it's this it's not something that Bitcoin is not something that is pro-China all the yeah, way yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's any. It's not pro any state. No, no, it's not. It's not. But it's, it, but yeah. it, it, China is the only one who is using it in this kind of way. I think so. I think I think China is probably the only ones that have really recognised just how politically influential this could be. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, uh, and that they are looking to use it in the way that they can. Certainly so, they... of the major countries. Yeah, because right? you get oh, yeah. like you know. Um, you get like Barbados who are like digital currencies and <laughs> yeah. much they got the sand dollar now and yeah I mean when you can roll this out when you can roll out digital uh, currencies or Bitcoin to effectively a couple of hundred thousand people it's not exactly yeah, like it's not hard, know, right? a billion or so um, and so yeah I think they're using it in a well looking to utilize its its benefits like you say I think capturing the mining aspect of it is significant for them because I think it, like you say I think it does give them an element of leverage over the US. It's clear that China have a very progressive digital strategy. The motives for such are arguably pretty nefarious. I mean, they, 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 they want, I mean, this is why they roll out the digital, um, their, their, their own CBDC, central bank backed digital currency for, for their people. It's, it's, it's control. It's authoritarian control over money. And, um, but I think they're also not as naive as people may make them out to be sometimes. They know that they can't necessarily kill Bitcoin, but they could use it uh, to give them an advantage over a country like the US if they're a little more progressive, even though they might not publicly say it or publicly come out about it. But it's clear that they are definitely steps ahead of the US. Yeah, I think the... Um, yeah, that was another part of this Nixon... Uh, this Nixon Institute sort of event where uh, Mike Pompeo was asked what he thought about China rolling out its uh, its central bank yeah. digital currency and like literally just laughs aloud when he went at the idea that uh, <laughs> it, the CBDCs are going to prevent fraud. So yeah. that's the main reason why you'd roll one out yeah. and not because it's going to give you total control over, uh, uh, you know, and he himself noted the surveillance, the great surveillance properties such a, such a currency would have. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, uh, what do you think is going to be the response to this? So I, it was very interesting to see that uh, U.S. sanctioned uh, Chinese supercomputer uh, companies uh, at war, like organizations at least, in China over the uh, earlier this week. And it seems to me that if you're getting this, uh, you know, because they're a military strategic threat, etc., 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 we need to not, you know, give these guys any any uh, rope which they could hang us with, kind of thing. <laughs> Um, it is interesting to see that now that this is becoming a national security idea, or Thiel, or Thiel has managed to, uh, you know, bring it to a national security uh, angle on it. Yeah. That what what if they're going to start? If they're already sanctioning the supercomputer companies, why don't they sanction the BTC miners? Because yeah, they mean, are supercomputer companies, effectively anyway. And well, I mean, not not the, exactly the same thing, but they are effectively. Supercomputer companies that are uh, exploiting a strategic advantage over the United States. Well, see, I think there's actually now I was I can't exactly remember where I was reading it, so no one quote me on it. <laughs> but I, I I had been reading reading recently about uh, a, a push by U.S. corporations to bring to try and bring a lot of the mining uh, of BTC into the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and utilize n- new energy technologies and renewables and so forth to become the dominant country in mining not China. So I think there's a push to be more pro-Bitcoin friendly. Um, f- certainly from a, certainly from a, uh, I think a private company, capitalist style push, not necessarily coming from the government, but I think that then influences the government. We know how much, um, you know, companies influence the political agenda in the US uh, through, uh, what is it? The, the, the Chamber of Commerce? The, yeah, the, the different um, influence groups or whatever that they, they have. Um, oh, God, I can't remember Talking what the name lobbying? is. Lobbying! <laughs> <laughs> political lobbyists. God, it's such a weird, weird situation. That. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think a lot of political lobbyists from the you know, private sector influence the political agenda in the US. And I think they're probably going to do the same here. I, 
I just cannot. Everyone's like, oh, but but they'll they'll ban it. They'll come out and they'll ban it. If China's using it, they'll definitely ban it. It's like no, just don't see that happening. Yeah, I, well, I, so, I certainly hope it doesn't happen. Um, but at the same time, I don't really think it does. And there was actually an observation that I thought was very interesting regarding this and why we haven't seen much antagonism from uh, developed nation um, politicians or developed nation finance ministers. I mean, we have definitely seen some, like the French finance minister, for example, is very, very anti-BTC. We were discussing last week the fattest man in finance, uh, the uh, Augustine Augustine. Carsten, yeah, from uh, the BIS, is uh, notoriously anti-BTC. But, you know, broadly speaking, uh, in the UK and in the US, um, Australia and Canada, they're not massively anti-BTC. And I think one of the reasons why there was... um, there was an observation by Pippa Mongren, which I thought was really very interesting. It could be a delib- there is a deliberate ploy here not to do anything to BTC because Bitcoin is proving to be an excellent uh, place to store excess liquidity in markets. So to uh, sort of make that maybe slightly more, uh, make slightly more sense with that. When there's too much money sloshing around financial markets, mm. uh, you just end up with that falling into BTC. It was the same in 2017 where it was an incredibly ebullient era for the stock market and for the bond market for that matter. You know, it was just a great time. There's money flowing everywhere pretty much. You look at uh, really risky areas in emerging markets were booming during this period. You know, there was just money pouring out everywhere. And that and that aided BTC very well. Uh, BTC is very scarce. So, you know, if you add, you know, just a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, you know, 1% of global capital flows hit that kind of thing, it's going to go off like a rocket. Now we have that similarly, uh, a similar situation going on here in 2020 uh, and BTC has done very well in 2020 now into 2021 and BTC has done very well. The idea is this is a very good place for liquidity to be stored if you're a state planner because despite there being uh, despite the whole idea of this to be electronic money if you've got a billion dollars of Bitcoin there is not much that you can actually spend it on. Now, while it is designed as electronic money, and yes, you can spend it on all manner of things, as I have, right? It is still, we've still not gotten to the level where Lightning, Lightning Network's been rolled out really well yeah. uh, or really broadly. So it's not here, you, the application for actually spending it as money is still limited. It's not, it's not yeah, non-existent, you know, because uh, yeah. you know, we've transacted plenty of BTC. I've spent BTC all manner of times uh, over the last, you know, you know, five, six years and, and now live to regret it. Right? <laughs> yeah, um, but, <laughs> you know, at the same time, if BTC is the store of excess liquidity uh, uh, where, where, where the price goes up, that's actually good for if you're mm. a central banker or if you're a, a finance minister or just a general monetary mandarin who wants to uh, ensure that, you know, not, there is, this stuff isn't spilling out. This isn't actually causing a massive issue in the real economy or causing overheating in financial markets. So if if you just have this asset here that's kind of inert, it's interesting, yeah. Then then that's a good place for all of this excess liquidity just to be stored. But then if if we do accept this as maybe a possibility, what happens when Lightning Network does get rolled out? In which case, that's when it would get clamped down upon. When this when this excess liquidity can then flow into the economy and be spent and and whatnot, that's when they would clamp down on it, which yeah. I think is an interesting theory. Well, I, I, it, it's a very interesting theory, actually, when you think about it. I mean, like, if you consider a, a hypothetical situation where cryptocurrencies didn't exist, let's say we're in 2021, everything else has just gone as the way it's gone, and we didn't have cryptocurrencies, we didn't have Bitcoin, uh, where, would all the, where would all the value that's stored in there now exist? Would it be all of a sudden, we're talking that property prices are extremely high, is the stock market all of a sudden just being pushed to insane levels as well, um, even more than they already are. Where does that? Where does that money go? So maybe you're right. Maybe it's. I think it's a quite a good thesis that that crypto and Bitcoin has absorbed what's effectively two trillion dollars worth of global value, which is a, you know it's a bit of a fleck in the ocean, really, on the on the on the bigger scheme of things. But it's still two trillion dollars mm-hmm. that we're talking about that it's effectively absorbed. It's probably more than that, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it is interesting that. And this is where this is where things get very almost philosophical about the future of of it all is because uh, that that look that liquidity that it's absorbed can come back into the economy, 
through through things like Lightning and payment networks and you know the the movements of like Visa and PayPal into this space aren't you know on a women of prayer. They're not for shits and giggles. They're, they're they're doing this because they see that there's a future in these sorts of digital payments and that that liquidity probably will want to come back into the market at some point, whether it be goods and services or other assets. The interesting point that I find about that is whether or not it comes back into the economy via fiat money or whether it exists within the crypto ecosystem through other cryptocurrencies uh, that have found their way into into the system. So like with Visa adopting the USDC as their stable coin on the Ethereum network, that effectively keeps that within the crypto ecosystem if, if that's you know the, the effectively what we're dealing in. So I, I don't know how it plays out because I don't know then how a central bank functions if a whole bunch of money velocity is existing not within their systems and not within the, the, the sort of traditional financial system. Um, but it's the things, they're the things we need to consider if we're talking about Bitcoin as a global reserve and payment rails and networks using cryptocurrency. These are the challenges I suppose we face. Yeah, though, you know, at the same time, uh, you've not seen central banks really care that much about uh, offshore uh, credit multiplication. Uh, so when you're talking about offshore banking centers, which uh, can, you know, because they're effectively unregulated, they can multiply uh, their their credit uh, way beyond any kind of regulatory barriers that you'd find if they if they stayed within mm. like the UK and the US. Um, you know, central banks have cared about that for a long time. Sure. So maybe that and maybe that similarly explains why they've not actually done anything similarly to, to really whack Bitcoin. Or I, I, so I guess that's the other thing, right? Is I wonder just how much they care mm. at all. That's a good it. question. I mean, are they like? I I, I wonder if they. I mean, look, the, the the global financial system as it exists and has before crypto, and assuming there was no crypto, it's not going to disappear. Not not because it's so entrenched in in everything. I think that over time it will evolve and change, and maybe I don't know how I don't know how it looks in two hundred years time. But that, that's the kind of time frame I mean. Like, what does a central bank look like in two hundred years? Uh, does it even exist in 200 years time so we're talking about generational kind of change with 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 what could happen um but right now I, yeah i just probably they just don't give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> you know a while back sam i uh, i spoke to a fellow at the world gold council right uh the world gold council for anyone listening who's not not familiar with it they're actually we were talking about lobbying earlier right yeah uh, the world gold council is yeah is a lobby group for the gold mining industry uh, to the investment industry. So the whole point of the World Gold Council is to uh, is for gold miners to convince via their lobbyists at the WGC that gold is a really good investment. And so the Gold Council provides a lot of great data on why gold is a good thing to own and whatnot. But anyway, one of these fellas uh, who I spoke to, who gave a presentation a while back, um, this would have been 2019, I guess, very tall chap. He was even taller than me. Uh, so That's tall like, for anyone that hasn't seen how tall yeah. <laughs> I think he must have been like six, seven, or six, eight. Like just enormous, enormous bloke. Anyway, this guy, um, he used to work at the Bank of England, and uh, and but he'd gone to the Gold Council, and uh, I was asking him about you know what does what does the WGC, which is thought of as a very, very well respected institution, it's like. Um, you know, for the few institutional investors who really have an interest in gold, they go to the WGC, right? Because they're very, uh, very well established, very respectable. Mm. Anyway, this this guy was from the Bank of England originally, and then got this, offered this job, and then went to the WGC. And he was saying, uh, you know, I was at well, I was asking him about, you know, what what do you guys think of all of the crazy conspiracies that you get around gold? Because you guys are, you know, the establishment elite when it comes to gold investment. You know, what do you think of the crazy, uh, the you know, the crazy kind of conspiracies that you can find around it? Like, do you get, do you pay them any heed? Do you, uh, do you entertain them until you debunk them? Things like that. And I remember him. He was saying when he was at the Bank of England, when uh, Mervyn King was in charge, and like the only time Mervyn King or any of his sort of uh, next in commands uh, when he was governor of the Bank of England even mentioned gold <laughs> ever was when at the peak of the gold market when people when he'd been handed a leaflet as he was leaving the tube station uh, which was about investing in gold bullion and he was like guys we need to make sure that the retail investor doesn't get harmed here because this market is completely out of control that was the only time when he'd heard 
you know, of getting even talk about gold. And, and so, and he was, um, and so he was just saying to me, like these central bankers, like these guys, these financial elites, right? Like, yeah. do you, do you understand like how little these guys yeah. care about gold? They don't even think about it. They're all just thinking always about these monetary metrics. I mean, thinking about M1, M2, M3, M4, and the credit growth in all these various sectors. Uh, and so gold is something that really just slips our mind. And maybe Bitcoin is really just the same. Um, this yeah, is something that is so. remains on the fringes despite its great size. Uh, and we'll continue that way. But Sam, uh, we have finished our, our blockhead now. Uh, we have gotten blocked. <laughs> uh, just as we got eased when we had quantitative ease, we've now gotten blocked. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I must say, I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, uh, it's good. Got a nice bit of sediment at the end. So, you know, you're yeah. getting a bit of protein in there. <laughs> and like uh, a meal in a bottle. <laughs> yeah. No, it tastes really good. I'm, that was the first time I've had it. I'm very pleased with how that turned out. Yeah, it's, we, an, it's an easy drink. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it uh, does not taste 6.25, which is great. Mm. I don't think we'll write, rate it as we didn't rate QE. It's not, it'd be unfair it'd be, to. It'd, it'd be, be biased. It'd be, it'd be ludicrously biased, I guess. <laughs> uh, but now we're on, to, we're on to our second one. What one are you on there? Uh, yes, yeah, so here I've got the Kaiju Crush, which is a tropical pale, a 4.7% tropical pale. Uh, now, as you can imagine, uh, it's, it's quite fruity, mm. funnily enough. Uh, after generations of kaiju interacting with the local flora, a new species arose. The frugus found the balmy weather and laid back pace in tropical climes to their liking, settling many remote islands but always on guard for those who would seek to exploit their mouth-watering juiciness and impeccable balance. <laughs> what the hell is this, mate? What have you got on there? That's, uh, oh shit, it's a product of Australia as well. Oh, yeah, it makes one, sense. It all makes sense. That now. makes a lot of sense now. Um, yeah, so this is Kaiju beer. Uh, another one in Dandenong. Have I done some from them before? Quite possibly. Quite I can't possibly. Remember. Anyway, uh, fruity, bit of pineapple in there for sure. Definitely a bit of mango. Um, great smell so far. Taste is interesting, but it's, it smells like, you know, I don't know what you call them here. I guess you call them fruit boxes. We used to call them primers back in Australia because there was like a, a brand of like the little fruit uh, juice box things. All right. And that was called Prima. And uh, it, it smelled like, keeping on with the Australian uh, flavor here, any Australians listening to this will know what I'm talking about. You're looking at me like I'm a fucking idiot. Uh, but anyone that's Australian will know what a Prima is. And it tastes like a, uh, yeah, like a pineapple and sort of mango Prima. Um, but to everyone else, it's just a juice, juice box that's fruity. Right, 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 right. Anyway. And this one, I believe you've actually, you've attained this for me today. I'm very grateful, Sam. Uh, this is Double Nelson, Double IPA by Boundary. I do like Boundary. They always have nice labels, if nothing else. Uh, but this is tasting really good. This is very nice. Uh, yeah, Double Nelson. Is that, um, is there, a, do you get Double Nelson in cricket? Is that where you get 222 runs? Because Nelson is 111 runs, right? And that makes somebody... You know what? I, I like cricket and I watch a lot of cricket, but I have never heard that term. So You never heard of Nelson? No, which uh. is not surprising. I mean, I'm not that big a cricket nerd. But... Well, I'm way less of a cricket nerd than <laughs> you. I, do, I barely even know how it works. I just know that Nelson is 111 because it's, right. um, it's a reference to... Well, it would make sense if it's boundary. I'm assuming there's a cricket reference in there. Ah, it must be possible. Like My first thought was double Nelson. What's that like? If, if like a full Nelson is a headlock, um, is a double Nelson yeah. like, a, like an extra strong headlock? But I actually think you're right. It's probably more cricket oriented. I don't know. It's brewed, brewed in Cannes in Belfast though. And I don't know. Okay. I don't think the Northern Irish are especially uh, into that. Well, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe. I know, I know, I know the Irish cricket side, uh, you know, they're, they're not great. Um, but the Irish like their cricket, just not as much as they like every other sport. But yeah, still, yeah, the same as Scots, I guess. Yeah, mm. yeah, but no, uh, yeah, double net. Why is it called one? It's for it's when you're on 111. It's where it's one one one. And there were some of the there was some there was like uh, yeah, it was an Australian. It was an Australian umpire that <laughs> went crazy whenever it was. He did like a it was because like, people are really su superstitious. Yeah, because yeah. if you're on Nelson, then it's. Um, yeah, it, the the idea is if you're on Nelson, then it's likely that the next ball's going to be an out. <laughs> Statistically, it's actually been proven that that's complete bullshit. However, uh, yeah. like some people really believe it. And there was this don't, let stupid, don't let the superstition get in the way. Of yeah, the yeah. And there was this uh, there was this umpire who used to do this crazy like rain dance or something right. whenever that whenever it was on Nelson because. He thought it was unlucky, but then it's like, are you supporting one side over the other? Yeah, it's that's like, a bit biased. Yeah, no. What's up with that? But yeah, double Nelson. I'm sure there's a much better Must explanation. There's got to be. Are there any numbers to indicate that that might be the uh, the case? It's eight percent ABV. Um, 
Oh, ah, uh, oh, well, I'm right. If double, na- if double has, Nelson is has, two, hang two, on, two. Hang on, has the label explained exactly what it means? No, no, it hasn't. <laughs> no, but maybe it has now. Here we are. So this is a double IPA, dry hopped with 22 grams per liter uh, of Nelson Sauvant. So if if, uh, if Nelson's 111 hey. and double Nelson's 222, <laughs> maybe 22 grams a liter, maybe that's See, it. folks, this is what happens when we get in the same room together. <laughs> The, the the brains trust gets it goes goes yes in full action and and we we figure out the, the real complexities in life yeah the, we answer the real question here um but yeah i mean it does taste pretty good so far Very um, good. well we it, haven't got onto your bull section oh yeah yeah the bull section yeah for me uh uh-huh right so i am bullish on uh hmm uh fake not well fake isn't right it, that's not the right word <laughs> What would it be? It's not fake. It's whatever the next word is could be really interesting. Could be. <laughs> um, I, I am bullish on uh, the correlation. Oh, okay. Between sea shanties and the gold price. Hang on. Are we talking about actual sea shanties here, like the like old school OG sea shanties? Or are we talking TikTok sea shanties? Here? Right, right. We're not talking about TikTok sea shanties. Oh, okay. Well, you're gonna have to very much explain this to me. Right, well, yeah, so it is actually pretty interesting that TikTok sea shanties have become a thing again. I remember I played, um, there was a video game called Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which was released way back early 2010s, and it was effectively a pirate game. But they had um, Ubisoft Montreal always do a very good job of trying to sort of capture sort of historic authenticity uh, when it comes to their games. Well, it wasn't just Ubisoft from Montreal, it's just normally Ubisoft. They're a French video game company and you know they've got a Quebecian studio, things like that. Anyway, um, they always spend a lot of time on the details mm. when they're doing uh, Assassin's Creed games and their other ones because they're trying to really capture the sort of spirit of the time kind of thing. Remember they spent some, they sent some one of their developers like to the, um, what's that cathedral in Paris again that burned down? Oh, the Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They spent a guy, a fellow over there, uh, and his entire job was just to create a 3D model of that. For wow. T- for two years. Whoa. He spent years just making the Notre Dame, right? <laughs> anyway, they, so they like they'll they'll invest in that kind of thing. Anyway, in Black Flag, which is obviously uh, sort of Age of Fighting Sale, Golden yep. Age of Piracy, they got they they recorded and they got people to sing like a cappella, okay. loads of uh, old school sea shanties. Oh. So if you're when you're sailing around, you can get you can get the get the lads to sing you a song <laughs> while you're steering the ship. And some of them are really, really good. But it is interesting to see how like TikTok has kind of just taken this thing and just gone run with it where you're getting um, people absolutely going nuts for, for sea shanties. Anyway, similar to this, though not quite the same. Uh, I was listening, there was a Canadian folk singer by the name of Stan Rogers, uh, who was actually a baby boomer, but tragically died in 1983 when his Air Canada flight uh exploded at an airport what happened Jesus. that um yeah what happened was there was they were flying somewhere and a fire started in the toilet right yeah maybe it was somebody trying to light a cigarette or something yeah. went out of control i have no idea anyway the plane was forced to land at an airport and then uh due to the something with the oxygenation of the aircraft like this the um there was like a flash fire so loads of people got off the aircraft before it exploded uh, but sadly, Stan Rogers was on when uh, when there was this sort of flash fire, and you know, and he and, and he died. Wow. So he probably died of like smoke inhalation. Anyway, he was a great Canadian folk singer, and uh, he sang a song called Barrett's Privateers in 1976. It was first recorded back then. So Barrett's Privateers sounds like a sea shanty, right? Okay. And it is written exactly in the style of being a sea shanty. Um, and it's since become the unofficial anthem of the Royal Canadian Navy. That's how popular it is. Uh, it's a, and it's a very, very good song. If you do, if you're listening to this and uh, you, you do like a nice tune, I would highly recommend Barrett's Privateers by Stan Rogers, the original by Stan Rogers. Anyway, I was looking at this, and one of the part of the lyrics to uh, Barrett's Privateers is uh, it's just about uh, a load of fishermen who go out to become privateers because they're lured by the idea of becoming. Uh, you know, privateers and looting the Americans of their gold, like finding a nice gold vessel, you know, just taking all that shit and then going back rich, right? <laughs> free money. It's a free, free life. Free money. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, so, uh, you know, it's a, there's plenty of sort of, the, the moral of the story is ultimately, uh, you know, don't get in out of your debt when you have no idea what you're doing being a pirate, right? It's just uh, a bunch of fishermen getting on some terrible ship. Uh, you know, trying to hunt down some some treasure vessel and then uh, getting wrecked as a result of it. But uh, 
Anyway, I was looking at when this was recorded, where they're talking, you know, when the song is about cruising the seas for American gold. Yeah. And this thing was September, I think it's 23rd, 1976. And interestingly, that is less than a month after gold bottomed in the uh, in the 1970s. So hmm. everyone thinks of the 1970s as a period when gold was just exploding uh, because there was, there was lots of inflation in the 1970s. But uh, the truth is actually much different from that. It's not uh, nearly so clear cut. So while there was a big boost to gold price when Nixon cut the gold standard, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, and you know many Americans wouldn't be even been able to buy the gold because gold, buying gold was still illegal there. But um, in terms of the, the gold price, it got that big juice. But then after that point, there were actually several years in the early 1970s where gold just traded down. It wasn't actually, uh, you know, it was actually in a bear market. Even as, right. you know, the, all of this inflation was raging, you know, everything was building up, things were going re really badly out of hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, gold was actually, uh, gold was in a bear market ultimately. However, it bottomed in uh, September of 1976, huh. uh, which was less than a month uh, before Stan Rogers first recorded Barrett's privateers. Uh, so I'm actually I'm bullish on that on that correlation here, and perhaps you know maybe we could tie it in with uh, with the phenomenon of TikTok sea shanties. Maybe the phenomenon of TikTok sea shanties is similarly sending a signal that gold is about to go on a multi-year ridiculous trend. Yeah. We're at the bottom of the gold. Of, see, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, the gold fascinates me. The gold price fascinates me because. Um, there's always seems and it, it, it's 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 because it seems to be like there's people that love gold so much, much like in in crypto that, that they're like and and we we talked about this before much like there is in the stock market where like XRP bros think that XRP is going to like thirty dollars. Tesla investors. Tesla's here. It's saying it's going to be a ten thousand dollar stock. GME investors think it's going to be a thousand dollar stock. Uh, Bitcoiners think it's going to be a million dollars. Etc. Etc. And it seems that gold people still say the same thing: is that gold's going to be like ten thousand dollars and stuff yeah. like that. But it's it, it's it, uh, for me, it's never even shown a glimpse of of that kind of potential. And and maybe How I'm missing dare a trick. You, Sam. Maybe I'm missing a trick. <laughs> and I get gold in a portfolio. I, I I get its position. I get its place. And I, I um you know I'm all, I'm all for people that that want to do that. But I uh, I struggle with this big ramp up in gold price i just don't buy it to be honest <laughs> well what is it well i think the what is it you don't buy about it so imagine well i because i don't have some price target in my head i'm not saying that gold's going to go to ten thousand no, some people do though right yeah yeah plenty of people do and i I'm, well i'm not really on on that kind of uh on board i don't i think these these numbers are kind of arbitrary because ultimately yeah. if you're giving it a price target the the environment in which gold will reach ten thousand dollars you the the dollar one dollar uh, is an awful lot less than it is now. So it's like, yeah. oh, it could be ten thousand dollars, okay, but you don't like that. That you don't have any context for what that gold price would mean in the context of context of literally everything else. Yeah. No, so I, how much I, is milk when gold is ten thousand dollars? Absolutely agree with you on that. Right. And, and that's much the same thing that I have with Bitcoin. Is that although we're always pressed to give a price target, oh, yeah. we're always asked, what's it going to go to? What's it going to be worth? Ultimately, it's completely irrelevant because if it is. Bitcoin is a million dollars. Gold's ten thousand dollars. Then how fucking worthless is the dollar, really? Because that's what it, that's what they both indicate, and that's what I think that when it comes to gold, and it come when it comes to Bitcoin, price is somewhat irrelevant, um, because ultimately they are both ways of saying that fiat money is a piece of shit. That's my take on it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think it's uh, the issue is more that if you're still using that denomination in the future, yeah. then you must still be basing things off uh, off fiat. Yeah, I mean, look. Ultimately, I'd love to see, you know, my groceries being paid for in you know some form of crypto, Bitcoin, or if it's you know an element where if, you know I've got a physical gold holding or something like that. Um, that everything's there's a different standard there's a different way I mean I just can't see how but like this comes back to Gresham's law right where uh, bad money drives out good if you have good money why would you spend it you don't want to spend it you want to spend the bad money it's like where you know when they start clipping coins when people start debate you know when they uh, stopped uh, issuing silver dollars in yeah, the states different. people stopped using the silver dollars they and they wanted to spend the shitty uh, the it was I think they were uh, they were cupra nickel or 
uh, zinc slugs they were they were referred yeah. to. So even though they had the same legal tender value, people didn't spend them. It was the same when uh, you know the Ro in Roman times when they diluted the currency. It was the same here. Um, I think so. Why would you send? Why would you want to spend your satoshis? Look, it's 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 a it's a difficult position, right? Because if you don't spend your satoshis, or you don't spend your gold or whatever, no one will ever spend it. The and then it'll there. never become good money. I mean, sorry, it'll never it'll never become the money system that it should maybe become. The issue is like, well, well, I guess the answer is when the producer will take nothing else. Yes. Right. Yeah. So in Iran, for example, um, there are landlords who you can't rent from unless they won't they won't take uh, they won't take Iranian fiat currency. What is it? The, is it the Iranian rial? I don't know. Um, I I think it's the Iranian rial. Anyway, the. Um, the uh, the landlords won't take the paper currency. Yeah. They will only take gold coins. So it's the the rent this month is five gold coins yeah. of this denomination, right? And not of a fiat denomination, but in terms of a weight. Uh, so I guess the issue is we'd get to that point when people are so disgusted, yeah, with uh, using the system that they will say, actually, I'm not, I don't, I don't care about the fiat equivalent. Yeah. The, the like the the price is a yeah. hundred satoshi. I or want whatever. my rent in satoshi. I want my I want the payment for my grain that you're feeding your uh, your cattle with in satoshi. That point though takes leaders and pioneers. Or it just takes so much pain on the path of people who. Yeah, I don't think it need. I don't. Maybe it doesn't. That's maybe. the thing. Maybe it doesn't. Like in Iran, I doubt it needed any leaders. If it doesn't. If it, so well, here's the thing right? if, if they it did do, they would have been killed well yeah you know, if it doesn't require leaders and pioneers which is, is a very possible outcome then it takes so much more pain mm. and if that's the case then yeah you don't want to work, you don't want to hope for that kind of environment no so that's the thing is I think if, it, if, if that's the way it goes there's a lot of shit to come in the global economy or you do end up I think with pioneers and leaders and, I, and, 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 and you end up with companies like Tesla that say right we're one of the biggest companies in the world we're going to start accepting bitcoin as part of our effective effectively as part of their supply chain yeah and that, that then they can put pressure on their suppliers uh to to do the same thing and if you get enough of them doing it then all of a sudden it becomes a competition i guess thing as well so I don't know. It, there's the sort of. I think we end up going down one or two paths. One of two paths here is that it is very much a. You know, there's a there's progression and innovation, and you end up with you know forward thinking leaders, or everything just goes to the shit, or even worse, and we've got no other option. <laughs> <laughs> a very optimistic look from the booze, booms, and busts podcast this week. Sam, what are you bearish on this week? Now that we've had the good news here, ah. I mean, give us the bad news. What am I bearish on? Uh, aside from my Aussie footy team back home, who, who stink at the moment, uh, that I'm, I am bearish on. I love them to death and will always support them, but I'm very bearish on them. Um, well, I mean, it's, who are they? Uh, the North Melbourne Football Club, the Kangaroos. All right. Um, they just, I mean, great footy club, long history, always battlers, like real battlers. Um, won a couple of premierships 20-odd years ago now. Not really been too close to it for twenty years, uh, and struggling at the moment. They just got beat by a hundred over a hundred points. I think it was one hundred and thirty something points, or just under one hundred and thirty points in the other week. So uh, you tell me they declined as soon as you left the country. That's when their decline began. Was it? Uh, yeah, well, just before, probably just before. Or was be that that was why you left no, the country? No, right, I only right. left. I only left like seven and a half years ago. So maybe that was why I left the country. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm bearish. I'm bearish on transport and logistics. I'm, I'm bearish on how we move goods around the world, because I, um, there's so much innovation, so much development that happens um, with all kinds of different sectors, and we're a very high tech, modern sort of world. Um, but my dad's trying to send me some stuff that has, has lived at his house for seven and a half years, and it's going to take sixteen weeks to get here. Um, because I've not lived in Australia for seven and a half years, I've just had stuff at his house. It's, you know, if you move country, you tend to leave some stuff behind. But I want it now because I've got a child and I've got some, you know, toys and memorabilia and stuff that I'd like to bring over. But I'm going to have to pay customs duties and excise tax and all that sort of shit when it lands on the UK shore. None of it's actually really worth much more than sentimental value. But I'm going to get stung for it by customs and i'm gonna have you know i've got to pay a shitload of money to for it to take 16 weeks to get to me um and i'm i'm frankly i'm bearish on the whole sector because it's bullshit 
<laughs> it shouldn't take a 16 weeks for something to get to Australia to uh, England uh, and it shouldn't be lumped with a load of tax on items and goods that are yours um, but that's the, the likely outcome that I'm gonna that I'm gonna be facing and aside I could go on and be very bearish about the banks for another whole another reason which would take another hour of discussion which I'm writing about uh, for next week and, and people that subscribe to our work will, will see a lot of that because um, I fucking hate the banks and money transfer right now. Um, but yeah, but I'm more bearish on transport and logistics because they've got all this opportunity to roll out new technologies, to be more efficient, to get things to us faster, and then a big-ass ship gets stuck in a fucking canal. Still. <laughs> so I'm bearish on transport and logistics. Oh, it's interesting because, uh, yeah, it's a, there's a, a mutual acquaintance of ours who's recently uh, recently uh, leaving us, uh, leaving, uh, leaving, leaving the industry that we work in in order to try and revolutionize supply chain logistics Indeed. and everything. So hopefully, or maybe there's a... Hey, hopefully it works out for him. Yeah, maybe there's a bullish story there yeah, we, can, we, can, we can drag out of it. Um, in terms of, uh, let's see, in terms of bearish things uh, for the week, hmm. you know, well... We have spoken about crypto an awful lot in this episode. Mm. The uh, Coinbase IPO. Mm. I am tempted to be bearish on it. Ooh, I like that. Just I'm a because, bit too, to be honest. R- right, right. Yeah. Like, I am just tempted to be bearish on it. Um, like, a lot of people in, in... Like, it is a weather vane, so, you know, I you need wherever it goes. Um, it's an indicator of where the wind is blowing when it comes to, like, you know, uh, sort of money within the uh, sort of establishment financial system that is interested in digital assets, you know, it's going to chase the Coinbase IPO because it's, probably, it's, the, it's the hottest target. It's the biggest target. Um, you know, a lot of, they, they've gone through all of, they've jumped through all the hoops. They've not gone through a SPAC. You know, they, they are going for a, for a direct listing. So they've satisfied all the administrators, all of the lawyers, etc. <laughs> Everything has been thoroughly vetted. And hmm. now, that, now they're going public. So, um, you know, that would be if you were an institutional investor who wanted access to just like, you know, just getting a clip of the ticket whenever somebody does a crypto exchange, then that would be where you'd want to be, you know, and that uh, idea of, you know, selling shovels when there's a gold rush kind of yeah. idea, you know, yeah. Coinbase would be one of the one of the ways you could try to do that. Though, uh, you know, the FT has recently gone after the Coinbase IPO saying it's not the same as selling shovels in a gold rush because it's almost like, you know, Coinbase is involved in the gold rush because so much of uh, so many crypto transactions take place within its ecosystem without being on chain because yeah. they're because they're off chain because they net everything off. Anyway, that leaving that aside, whatever happens with the Coinbase IPO will be uh, is a very telling indicator for how much institutional involvement or how much uh, well institutional, but no, just how much the um, the stock market cares about digital assets ultimately. Um, and I'm actually like I don't I really don't know what's going to happen. No, uh, but no. I think and it is a weather vane. But I am tempted to just be bearish on it mm. because it's like everyone thinks it's going to do well. Yeah, I know what you mean, right? Everyone's like, oh, they're making a ton of money, which they have for the last couple of quarters, yeah. which we have to remember and and reconcile with that it's been very abnormal conditions. People locked at home. That you know we've seen that in the stock market. We've seen it in the crypto market, uh, and they've obviously ridden that wave much like a lot of the stock trading apps have done um so i would think that their financial performance of of recent uh is abnormal not the not the bar that is sort of they they would traditionally set um i i I, i'm with you i think uh i think that that everyone's like oh but they're making so much money they're doing so much better than everything else it's going to be amazing uh, there'll be some FOMO and some hype behind it, but I think ultimately that it's a bit of a bearish take on it as well. You think? You think? Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Well, so, so the irony is, and this is this is what shits me, is that they're a crypto company <laughs> that's listing on a traditional stock market. I mean, if that doesn't tell you exactly what their intentions are, uh, I mean, nothing will. So got to make that money. You got to make that bank, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, don't hate, as we were saying in a previous episode, don't hate the player, hate the game. But. Yeah. You know, what would be the alternative, all right? So that's that. the issue is, it comes down to securitization, right? In what way could you take a company public through crypto, which has legal precedence, that would actually give token holders legal right to a stake in the company? That's the thing, right? Yeah. What option do you have if you want to offer people that, that 
without uh, taking a company public by a direct listing or through an IPO, right? Yeah, I mean, they could do it themselves. How? I mean, you could issue you could issue security tokens on any blockchain. You could do it on Ethereum. You could do it on Tezos. Yeah, yeah, no, but not that has legal. Uh, that not that it would give the owner a legal title. Well, you could, but that's the thing, right? Is that you could, you could. Oh, no one's done it before. But yet. no one's really done it before, right. especially not on that scale. And I think that, that would be very interesting. Now, wouldn't that wouldn't have that been something that if, would, if Coinbase yeah. had shunned the traditional market? And they've got enough money, so they exactly they would, right. Yeah. And what's like what's the rush for them? they've been around since 2012 what's the rush to go to the public market now now yeah now of all time to do it they Why started now? getting interested in that about midway through last year if memory serves yeah um, i just find a the timing a bit weird b the fact that they've just basically sold themselves out to traditional financial markets um and it just seems to me like it's an opportunity for them to to be exactly everything that cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency networks are not supposed to be, which makes me, you know, it gives me the indication that they don't really give a shit about crypto. They're just in it for the bank. Mm. If they were in it for, for the, for the, you know, all the benefits that cryptocurrency has, the decentralization of power and finance and all those sorts of things, they would have taken their time, issued security tokens for the company and, and done it within the crypto communities and said to the VCs and the investment banks and the market, fuck you. But they didn't. And that's why I'm bearish. You know, there's this... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that, I get that. I get that. Like, yeah, it would have been cool if they tried to finally get... If they just spent a lot of resources on trying to actually create a securitized token. Yep. Uh, that would have been very cool. It would have required encountering sort of the US financial establishment which would have been incredibly expensive. But, uh, yeah. You know, there's that story of the Mississippi bubble where, um, I think it was John Law, where they, uh, effectively, the only way of investing in the Mississippi company was by, which was, uh, you know, this, this company which had grand access, or at least people believed it had grand access to these uh, this trading resource over in the States. Mm. Uh, and, but the only way of doing it the only way you could get there, you could actually invest in it, was by was by buying government debt first. Yeah. Right? So that was how we got rid of the debt problem, was by deliberately just making sure that people only got to the speculative investment opportunity yeah. after uh, they got the uh, after they'd um, after they'd lent the money to the government first. So we effectively got rid of the, all the debt problem. Uh, imagine it, what would happen if Coinbase had said like you can only buy shares in us if you buy, it, but if you have to purchase them with Bitcoin. Yeah. That, imagine. Wow. Imagine the. So this, these are all the opportunities that have gone that have gone to waste, and that's what's that's what that's the shame about it all. Yeah, uh, a tragedy, a tragedy. But um, but no, I think that uh, that that uh, I think we've had a pretty good pretty good episode. Our first in person. In person. What? Yeah, no. What? This is. Uh, it's wild. It is. It is. Hopefully, uh, more to come. Yeah, hopefully. But yeah, Sam, this is very good. Um, Let's see, in terms of uh, in wrapping up, we don't have any closing comments, uh, I don't believe. I think we've both done Bull Bear. And, uh, oh, yeah, actually, you got to rate your beer. Uh, okay, so Kaiju Crush, it started off um, a bit difficult, to be honest. It was it a great smell, but not necessarily the greatest taste. But by the end of it, I found it quite easy to drink. Um, it's quite light, it's quite fruity, quite easy to drink. I think served cold, again, probably you know better suited to warmer weather. Um, but I actually quite enjoyed it. But... I'd probably just give it a B, I think. Right, yeah. Double Nelson, double IPA is, uh, yeah, very nice indeed, actually. I really like it. 8%, doesn't taste 8%. Re- yeah, this thing is opaque as hell. It looks like, <laughs> a, it looks like a damn smoothie. So, uh, yeah, this is very heavy. So maybe really hot weather, you probably wouldn't like it. Uh, mm. But no, it's it's nice. I'd give it a B plus, I think. So very good. Uh, but yeah, that does conclude our 41st mm. episode. Um, and we shall be back next time with episode 42. I hope you enjoyed it. hope you're having a good weekend when you hear this. And uh, we shall be back next time.